welcome to the Your Data Driven Podcast. If you like this podcast, be sure to visit our website at yourdatadriven.com for more useful help and advice on setting up your race car, mastering data analysis, and driving faster. Welcome to episode nine. Today I'm talking to AIM data logging expert James Colburn. James has produced a really popular series of YouTube videos helping racers understand how to use the AIM solo system. James has been able to bring his skill and understanding from using data in his day job and marketing to the racetrack. James has gone from being initially completely baffled by the numbers to helping and teaching others with their own data analysis. In this fascinating episode, we talk about how James and his friends are using data in practice and how you can start to use data if it's something you find intimidating as well. Let's find out what James has to say. So, uh, <laughs> oh, you can make me laugh now. I've not meant to start laughing, am I? I'm meant to be like, it's all very serious. And this is a serious, serious podcast show. Yeah. So welcome, James. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I know you have a fantastic experience using data in racing and you've helped a lot of people. And I think they, for those that don't know you already, they will find this conversation, I'm sure, super insightful. So, but before we kick off, so tell us a little, about, a little bit about you and how you got to where you're at in terms of supporting the, uh, the AIM guys. So my name is James Coburn. I, um, I, as a day job, I work for a telecommunications company called Verizon, uh, who um, throughout my time uh, bought um, and acquired companies like AOL and Yahoo. And so my day-to-day is to focus on data. I, I work on a, um, I run a group called Data Solutions that looks at helping advertisers uh, using uh, data assets that Yahoo or AOL may have. So it was really interesting that the evolution of moving from you know, my work life to my personal life, there are a lot of sort of crossover points because obviously data is what we're talking about here and it's a big part of what we do. So for my hobby, you know, I, I find myself in a situation where I helped a lot of people very early on. Did you get into racing? I mean, is this, is this a, a lifelong passion of yours or is it something you've discovered later in life? Or how, how did you get exposure to racing? Just like all Brits, I think that, um, you know, we, and I saw many nations nowadays, um, well, Sunday afternoons were always Formula One afternoons when the Grand Prix was on and you'd sit down and watch the race and then, you know, British touring cars and a few others. Uh, my father took me to Brands Hatch a few times and I just thought motorsports and cars were, were fantastic. And so that passion led through to being in a position where, you know, when I could get nice cars, because um, I was lucky enough to be quite successful in my career, I bought one. It was an Audi S. I think it was. And when I bought it, I would loved it. And and they, they organized, uh, I was living in Seattle at the time, and they organized a track day with the dealership that could say, here, take your car to the track and learn, you know, how you can really use it. And so um, I went there and had no idea you could take a personal car on the track. Uh, this was 2006, 2007 sort of time period, so a long time ago. And then Slowly, the relationship I had built with um, a good friend of mine, his name is Don Kitch. He runs the Performance Racing School in Seattle. I started helping him with a bit of his um, his charity work where they race to raise money for Seattle Children's Hospital. And then one day he said, do you want to have a tryout in that? Um, it was called Pro 3. It was a, it still exists today. It's an E30 
BMW series and, and I, I got in it, drove it dreadfully, but um, sort of got a little bit hooked at that point and things slowly graduated from doing high performance driving experience into racing. And I think it was a transition into racing that first year um, that I was racing. So 2009, 2010, people were just starting to look at in-car um, data. Previously, obviously, it had been uh, exclusively a um, very high-end team type of opportunity or a very expensive proposition. Uh, I started out with a, a solution called a TrackMate in, I don't know, 2010. And the problem we have with that is very few people were using them. And AIM brought out this little device called a Solo that most people used as a lap timer because it did a really good job of predicting your lap time and telling you if you're doing a good or a bad job. So I um, I realized that if you plug that in, it was full of really useful telemetry and, and race data, all based on GPS. And so I learned to read those charts. And I think a lot of people figured out that I'd learned to read those charts. How, how, did, you, how did you go about doing that? Well, you, I plugged it in. And so when, when I bought the device, um, it came with uh, a software disc. I didn't even know they had, web, they had a website and stuff back then. Um, and so I plugged it in. Um, I downloaded the software and plugged it in and downloaded it. And the first time I looked at it, it just looked like the most intimidating amount of sort of, I'd say, you know, overwhelming data. And then um, I, I attended a couple of sessions from AIM. There's a, there a training guy called Roger Cadell. And I've not met Roger, but he's got a great reputation. Everyone seems to talk so highly of him. So he's a lovely fellow too. And, and so, you know, after a couple of sessions with Roger, I started to learn how to read the data and, and I started to translate it into things that I could do differently on the track. Um, and all I did was I used... And I still do to some degree today in a quick fashion is that if you look at the data, you've got, you know, my, my method is very straightforward. The, the time distance tells you if you're faster or slower. The speed trace tells you why that's the case. And then I use, if I'm just GPS only, typically GPS longitudinal, which if the chart goes down, that's breaking. If the chart goes up, that's accelerating and be able to start aligning and mapping. You know, did I break too quickly? Did I break too late? Did I hesitate on the throttle and, and so forth? And so because I figured that sort of stuff out, I had a lot of people coming to the trailer where my car was saying, um, can you help us with our data too? And it was lovely, but it was, you know, I was saying the same thing over and over again. And at times I just wanted to race my own race and, and obviously wanting to help people at the same time. I made a few videos and put them on on um, YouTube. How did you feel? I mean, this is this is a might sound a bit of an odd question. There's a couple of things I was thinking about when you when you were saying that, but but like motorsport has this. Uh, how can I say? We don't like to tell each, our competitors about stuff that's going to give them an advantage because it's hard enough as it is. And so you know, if you found out something that's going to make you quicker, the, the last thing you're going to do is. Just tell them straight away, and that that goes for information, that goes for parts, that goes for all sorts of things and set up, set up and everything. So, how did you reconcile that side of it, if at all? We started. So, I was racing in a, a BMW E30 series. It's called Pro Three. It was brilliant. Um, there were at times sixty cars um, ready to race, and at any time you could have fuel. Six, 60 cars. Yeah, a, a 60 to, a, I mean, I think there were more than that. And, and the, the largest race I ever participated in, there were 40 to, I think it was 42, um, 
entries, all same car, same class. And so we, we, it was brilliant. It was, I was living in the Pacific Northwest. So we were racing in places like Seattle and Portland and, and all over the place. Well, there's two parts to that. The first is showing somebody or telling somebody that, you know, they could be going three, four miles an hour faster through a fast corner. And then the second thing is their ability to be able to do it in the first place, as is your own. That was good. But what we started to say was, well, what we'll do is we actually created a shared environment um, whereby people would post their race sessions. And then if you posted race sessions, you could then download sessions. And we had a simple Dropbox set up where people could drop data in and out. And then I posted videos up there that help people understand how to read what they've, they've just taken up and down, although people were getting very proficient at it. When you started, so you've got the BMW, or you've got access to the BMW, and you've gone out on track. How was, I mean, can you remember how that felt when you first went out? The first experience in a race car was, was um, shocking. Um, it was, Why? you know, it was because it was, you know, Every car I'd driven up to then had, um, you know, um, soundproofing and creature comforts and the seats were comfortable and, you know, you you didn't hear the engine like you heard before and, and they barely ever rattled. And now you get into a, a car that feels like it's, it's you know, it's as, it doesn't have any kind of springs or dampening, it, it felt, which at the word, I probably didn't know what those words meant. Um, and it just felt like this this world of of complete mystery um, and kind of exciting, but at the same time uncomfortable. Yeah, a bit of an assault on the senses, isn't it? It, it really is, and I think that you know at that point, um, you know, you the my a lot of the thought up to that point is you know new cars are fast and old cars are old cars, but then you get into a car that's been stripped and race prepared. And your whole world changes as well, I think, from that point of view, because now you start looking at cars in a completely different light. Fascinating. Sorry, I just I find this really fascinating. And I've had this conversation a couple of times with some people. And I, 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 it's really curious, I think, that because you've done racing and it's almost you maybe you've forgotten what it was like before. But the concept of you've got a fast road car and you've been interested in motorsports for a long time. And then there's this transition between that and going out onto the track for the first time and then going out on the track for the first time in a racing car. Can you remember how that all felt? Because it does link back into the data. Okay. It does link to the data in the sense of ultimately the data is providing a solution to a problem. And what I'm really trying to dig at here is what was the issue that you were really trying to solve? I can remember so much of it so uh, so clearly. You know, we we you don't know what you don't know, um, and and when you think about that learning curve, you've got you go from being um, unconsciously incompetent, where you don't know what you're doing, and you don't know if you're doing it right or wrong, to then consciously incompetent, which is you know what you should be doing but you can't do it. You know, then um, you know consciously competent, which is you have to work really hard to be able to do it, but you're kind of getting there. I mean, what was your reference, though? What was your reference to know whether you were doing it right or wrong? Well, when we started out, this is the tricky part. When you start out, um, streetcars are always different. I think that HBD uh, folks, um, unless you're all in exactly the same age type car with the same, you know, uh, tires and everything, it's very difficult to be able to sort of use other people as a benchmark. Just for the benefit of the, the listeners, HPD, 
DEs, high performance, high performance driving, high performance driving experience. I, a lot of my okay. vocabulary is based upon 15 years of living in the US and learning to drive there. So track days, the, when you take your personal car on a track, I think the it's a bit more than a track day, isn't it? It's, it's like a it's a semi-organized. It's a bit more. There's a bit more organization to it, and I think there's a lot more coaching that goes on. It's a, it's a, it's it's about performance, higher performance driving rather than just a track day, which can be maybe more experiential. Is that would that would you say it was different or the same? The ones that I went to, you always had the opportunity of um, hiring a coach. You weren't allowed out on the track until you had a certain amount of comfort with certain elements. So you had to do a, a beginner's course to be able to go out and do that. This was the school that I ran. Um, and then you could do lapping days where you could go out and, and drive. But, you know, you have to have passes, passing zones so that you are predictable and you have to put your finger out of the window to be able to say, pass me because I know that you're there and I'm prepared to do it. Unlike, um, you know, a racing event where, you know that 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 is ever so courteous, but highly unlikely. There are hand signals in a racing environment. Yeah. They're just not always as friendly. Yes, Murray Walker's saying he's <laughs> he, look. He's saying you're number one. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, you know the coaches were useful, and they'd help you. You know, with reference points in terms of going faster, because you know there would be periods of time where like you don't need to brake there, or you know you need to be full accelerator, or full throttle here, or whatever need be. And there was a good reference. And in in many of those days there would be classes of cars. So you'll be in group A, B or C. C is more intermediate and there'll be an aspiration to be able to work your way up based on experience and your, you know, your developing skill set to get to sort of group A. But again, nothing that I would argue, and I've, I've written about this um, before as well, which is I think it doesn't prepare you for racing. In a car, when you're in a race, you're thinking about your competition. Um, how can I pass? Am I going to be passed? What are they doing behind me? You're not thinking about, you know, which gear I should be using in which particular corner. You're thinking about how do I make sure I can maximize my time on track by improving. And so I think for me, when I got to racing, that's where data really kicked in because the more you used it, the better you could be. And it's still today in everything I do. It's, it's just part of, it's a discipline. It's, it's not a luxury. It's a discipline that we have in racing to be able to use data to enhance that experience and, and continue to improve your performance. Is there a point where you would say it has more value and perhaps or less value? And, and it's a bit of a leading question because some people feel that the numbers, even lap times, can be a distraction when you are first starting. So do you have, what's your thoughts on that? Can data be useful at all times or is it better when you are perhaps closer to what a competitive time is and you are just simply looking to shave off uh, periods of time or is it useful even from when you start out as a novice? You have to define where novice is. If novice in a track day scenario, the inputs and the variables that you're working on are so tremendous that Arguably, it may not necessarily tell you anything uh, because the variables and the inputs that you have are so inconsistent that you'll, you know, may not make head nor tail of it. That said, as you progress and get up to, you know, people go to lap days today still because they enjoy, you know, the the not only the thrill but also the self development of going faster. And at that point, um, a lap time, especially a predictive lap time, it can be useful. That said, if you're a novice in racing or 
another interesting scenario is if you are somebody who's brand new to a track, which uh, I find myself being um, all the time, then for the first session or two, I rarely ever use um, a data logger, only because you know, you're trying to tell yourself, do I go left or right? And if you start chasing a lap time, you forget the corner goes left or right. And you find yourself in a place where you shouldn't be, which is oftentimes off track. But again, at that point, then you move into to data. So I think there's got applications everywhere. But without doubt, the moment you start getting into, you know, within 60, 70 percent of comfort as to where the track goes or starting to find time, it is essential. And interestingly enough, the number of times we've sat and talked to people and said that gear change is costing you two tenths every time you change gear. Um, can you speed it up? Now, the downside of that is, well, if I put it in the wrong gear, I've just zinged the motor. And, and that's one of the risks of racing. But in, in many respects, that sort of analysis now is kind of going away as more people have paddle shifts. But in club racing, I mean, we, nearly all cars that I've driven in a club setting aren't fortunate enough to have a sequential box. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's simple things like that as well. So fast drivers are just good at being able to extract the most from their cars. Um, which is what puts them at the front. And if you don't know how to do it, it doesn't matter if you've got a fast or a slow car, you're just not going to make the most of it. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, there's a very good friend of mine who's a musician, um, not a magician, <laughs> a musician. <laughs> and um, he practices all the time. Uh, so much so. He can play the same thing three times and every single time it sounds improvised, mm. but it's the same thing. Uh, do, do, do you see what I mean? He's got an artistry yeah. that comes with investing the time he's he's in tune with in his case an instrument but we're talking about a car yeah and he just makes it look easy and the first and foremost the first thing i ever look at is uh, what they call the time distance graph which says am i faster or slower than a, than another lap and then you then progress your way through the rest of the data to be able to say well if i'm faster why am i faster oh because your speed is higher in that corner oh why is my speed higher in that corner and then you go well because you broke later or actually you broke sooner or then you look at a GPS map overlay and you're like, oh, well, because I used a different line. And that's where data becomes particularly useful through practice um, in any scenarios, in qualifying, whatever need be. Any laps that you do have, the opportunity to be able to experiment, especially in a practice session, try different lines, try different breaking points, look at the data. That worked well. That didn't work well. What was the knock-on cascade effect that I messed up that corner? So I then messed up these three other corners because they were linked yeah yeah i do and uh, i don't know if you have seen it but i i did a little video for uh, sort of showing some sim racing telemetry the idea really was just to take people through a live demonstration of that what whether you know the delta t or time slip or has several different names unfortunately this this particular channel doesn't it for gaining and losing in time (laughs) but uh you know how to how to make the complicated even more complicated for people, particularly on the most important channel. Anyway, I don't know. I've no idea why we just don't have one terminology for that channel. But anyway, that's a, a story for another day. But so I've done this little video, and if you've not seen it, you might you might find it quite interesting. And in it because the data's being produced live as I'm driving, it almost comes alive a little bit, and I think that makes it a little bit more accessible. Because when you're looking at the charts at the end of a session, when it's it's very difficult sometimes to relate the lines to the actions of driving. And once you have 
in your case, I'm sure you can look at the numbers now and you can imagine what that must feel like. But when you first start, it's really quite opaque. And I thought, well, that's probably quite a nice way to show people at least one channel. And you can see as I'm as I'm driving around, such as I can on my uh, sim racing setup, you can see, right, okay, I'm gaining and losing time. And I give a little commentary on that. So it sounds to me as if you have a similar approach. Where would you start with data analysis? delta t yeah delta exactly that's for me every time i do it um that is my starting point and you and you're right and and it's interesting you talk about sim racing um i a group of us have really started to get into iRacing as so many people have due to you know the lack of physical racing due to to our current pandemic scenario um and the tools that are available there are obviously you've got your traditional tools that you can import the data into there are tools that many of us who've only ever raced on the track don't know about and are learning about, like a virtual racing school, um, where all you know manner of different ways of displaying the data, but it's typically consistent that there is the, are you faster or slower in this particular segment or environment where you are? And because racing digitally or, or sim racing is virtual, it's easier sometimes to overlay a video or to look at some data that way and analyze. So I think it's great learnings and, and best practices that people can have as they then want to get into their racing, um, more data analysis uh, when they get back to the track. The thing that I find is that people learn differently. We all, we all experience this. I think uh, some people love video. Actually, actually, that was going to be my question. So where does video sit in this? Because you know, how do you use that? So there you go. You're one step ahead of me, buddy. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, I think video is interesting because one of the things that I started to learn very quickly was videos of you in a race car, especially like, here's my race. If you race a lot, do you kind of stop using video for that? And, and your in-car GoPro is nice if there's sort of an incident on track or you make a fab passing move, but no one wants to watch a 45-minute race from start to finish on YouTube. So video starts to become more of a learning experience whereby you know, it helps you look at the line and it helps you look at, um, you know, oh, why have I, this This is what you're doing, lap two of a practice session. If you go back and replay your practice session and you see that there's a lap five, I should say, whatever scenario is, any lap, and there's a hugely different variation in the line, the video will tell you that you may have been passing a car, you may have been doing something, um, you know, different on track, but that's that that can be adapted. So I, I like... Today, a lot of the technology, and, and I use a, something called a Smarty Cam from AIM that has the lap, the lap time, and your driver inputs on the video so you can see what happened. And, and the problem that you have sometimes with video, which is brilliant as a learning tool, especially when learning a track, because someone could look at it and go, you know, you're three car widths more of track there, go and use that track. But when you're in the sort of like the finer margins of looking at data, um, the one thing that a GoPro won't do is it won't tell you if you were at 80% throttle or 100% throttle because you can't hear it. Um, it's that it's difficult, especially with some car noises, to be able to discern that with wind and everything that's there, wind noise. So you know, being able to see data, video, and driver inputs, and that's why some of these digital sort of solutions are great. But one of the things is that the, the graphs can be over, overwhelming for people. They can be a little bit intimidating especially if they're not in the format that you want them to be in to be able to see that time delta, delta T, whatever it is, then, you know, speed and driver inputs. But you can get there with that. 
but you can also look at a whole different ways of looking at data to the point where you get comfortable with it. So one of the things that I learned when I was with my racing friends um, at the track was some people I knew immediately after two or three times we'd review the data, someone I'd sit down and I'd look at graphs. Somebody I'd sit down and immediately I'd open another tab that would be a map with the dots or lap replay, they call it, um, and show them that way. I think um, you have to just accommodate how people learn. Yeah, people do learn in, in many different ways. And what's lovely is you've, we have this choice that, you know, there is data. It is accessible at a, not, not well, there are, there are different price points for different levels of quality of data. But the point being, it's fairly accessible compared to where it used to be. You've got options. You've got video. You've got the AIM Solo data. You've got a whole tier, like a ladder almost, of different quality of data, which you can kind of build up. Even the GoPro these days uh, is logging GPS and accelerometer. So, you know, there's, a, there's an article you might have seen I wrote on about the race technology software and, and how they have enabled the GoPro video and data to be pulled into their software so you can do race analysis on it that way i found when i started out racing pre-data that the conversations that existed were always they've got fresher tires so i need to put on fresh tires they've got uh, a better engine so i need to go and spend a fortune on a better spec engine because it's a spec engine of course i need to go and get a you know a better one because they've got an advantage and, you know, for the price of one set of tires in the space of two or three MACE meetings, depending on what you're racing, you've paid for that data acquisition software that will last for far longer than some of the short term things that you may do to be able to improve your car. And I've seen um, that unless you put an absolute, you know, top of their game professional in your car um, who will then find the mechanical or technical areas of opportunity because they know that they're at the top of their game and there's a there's not a huge amount that they can develop that said i've never met a professional driver who doesn't look at data uh then chances are you may save a bundle in car upgrades by buying something that's cheaper in a data acquisition solution that will help you get to the point where then when you do spend that money on the upgrade you can take advantage of it so i just want to call you out on that one a little bit because i'm not sure that the hesitation around data is wholly based on an investment uh, equation. I think one personally, having you know talking to people, I think that is a big factor because it's not free, right? But the the personally, what I think people struggle with is the accessibility of going from a measured set of information, a measured set of numbers to some level of understanding to then the next step, which is what is my plan for the next session? Because ultimately that's all they can do as in terms of action. Yes, it might be interesting to know what I could have done, but really what people value more highly is uh, what can I do next to improve? And sometimes in the conversations I've had, people struggle to reconcile where data would fit in that situation and, and how it can really contribute to that those kind of decisions. Now, you might instantly go, yeah, okay, well, I get it because of your understanding. But if, you've, if you roll back to 
before you had any exposure to the numbers and before you had any comf- confidence and comfort by looking at the data. And you had the, you must have had several light bulb moments over the years going, oh my goodness, that is amazing. I'm so glad I'm looking at these numbers. If you roll back through before those times to try and talk to someone and think, well, what is, you know, how can they really go from where they are today of being, yes, I kind of see that it can be useful, but I'm not 100% sure why I should invest this time and effort in learning. What would you say to that? I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that there is data has barriers to entry that are so high that it's, I think we've used the word intimidating, but I think it's a, it's, it's a barrier. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge. And I think not only that, that if you get some of the more advanced data, you also have to be able to install it. That's where the beauty of, I think a lot of these GPS devices have really helped out. Um, yeah. It's like a framework that you describe. I, I actually really do think that you you hit something very important there and, and, and the question is, is when do people look at data and, and what is that discipline they use to be able to then identify how to convert that into decision making um, on track? And I, you know, and then at that point to be able to say, what is the data showing? Is the data showing this is driver improvement or is this data showing that the car is making the driver do something or the driver is making the car do something? Um, and so what is that, uh, to use an American phrase, the playbook that people will use after practice, after qualifying, after the race, throughout the season to convert the data into decision making. I think that, you know, just like anything, it's it's learning to read the manual, but then what does the manual tell you that you have to be able to do? And I think there's two, there's two different things. One, I've, I've learned the language, but at the same time, what does that language telling me is different. So you raise you raise a very good point. And so going to the lowest common denominator is oftentimes a natural you know, sort of uh, response, which is this is way too complicated. I'll just focus on something that I can use. What what upsets me a little bit is on behalf of the people who've made these investments, because whilst they may be able to afford them, they're not free. So they've made some investment. They've got these units installed on the promise that, right, okay, well, you've got to get data and it's going to make you uh, understand how you drive and you're going to go faster. And then for whatever reason, people struggle with that. And then they end up with what is, in effect, a very expensive lap timer. And they're not really getting the, the, the value of the data. I mean, the, the, you know, the comedy thing is, you know, oh, my SD cards never left the unit. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, what's the point? You know, and, and I just find that a little bit disappointing for people because they're not, they're not getting the value that they could have. They're not getting the insights that they could have. So I don't know. I just I just wonder if there's a solution there to to help people overcome and realise some of the value that they're missing out on. Yeah, I, you know it's funny. By nature of our conversation and your podcasts and your website and articles and everything, I think in many respects you're the solution to the challenge. Um, it is not uncommon. That's very kind of you. Well, I mean, but, it, <laughs> but in many respects, if you think about it, I. I you, the first time we chatted was that you were offering up help because I had a challenge that you you had a way of being able to solve. And that's what, in many respects, I think the racing communities, you know, that I've been in have definitely been there. But I would say that it'll be very difficult these days not to be able to find help in paid, non-paid tutorials, articles, uh, workshops. We need to help people get extract what value is coming from this because I think if delivered in a certain way, the aha moment for a lot of people is is 
is why that solution's there in the first place. And so I, I get it. A lot of people have it as a lap timer, but people have it as a lap timer. But those who are using it as a predictive lap timer by pressing one or two buttons, inherently, immediately getting a benefit from it. If you're using something like an Apex Pro, where it has, you know, LED type of capabilities, you know, you're starting to see the data, but how it transitions into how you can improve. So I, I can't comment on everyone's use of the data and what's there, but I've never been in a scenario where somebody who says, you know, like I got this and it's kind of frustrating me that there isn't an, a mass of folks who will be there to help people understand how to use it. That is actually the lovely thing, again, about where the industry and, and technology in general has moved on in the period of time since you said you start, first started using the AIM Solo there are online communities and there is a lot more people around who can help and who, who are willing to share their advice. So, yes, I think if the if someone has the uh, the will and the, the desire to go, yeah, I want to get more from my investment, then there, there's plenty of places for them to, uh, to have a look these days or certainly more places. And, yeah, even at a track, actually, there's a lot of people with the same kind of units, so. I feel that's the case. And, and but the one thing I will say is this, completely contradicting myself. And I love the fact you, you challenged it because I think that's, that's the beauty of having a, a conversation is, 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 you know, coming to, these are all points of view. And when people watch a video on my pad, they're like, oh, I wouldn't have done it that way and I'll do it this way. And I think that's the lovely thing of interpreting this. But at the end of the day, racing has to be fun for many of us. In fact, I would argue that even if you do it as a career and from a professional point of view, it's it's a it's a fun job to do. And so if data starts to get to the point where you're like, you're really making this not fun, then maybe it's not right for you. Racing's probably right for you, but maybe that's not right for you with the data analysis. And so I think that there's an element of personal choice and where does this get to where you know, um, it's too much. And, and I, I, I'm a kind of a, an example of this, which is there are so many things that you can do with data analysis that I either don't get or would need to sit and study and really work through. Um, I'll give you a, a great example. I'm absolutely abysmal at math channels or mathematic channels in, in many of these. I, I honestly, I'm a, you know, looking at those. It, it takes a while for, for, for me to, to comprehend. And at that point, I'm thinking, wow, this is too much like school. Um, whereas I found a comfortable rhythm with how I look at data that gives me everything that I need to be able to improve. But there will get to a point when maybe I need to go that one step further and sit and, and learn and, and take it. And I, I never have had a moment where I'm thinking, well, if I want to be able to understand those, where on earth am I going to go to be able to find that? Because I know that, you know, with a quick search on YouTube or, you know, on a search engine to find articles that I can, I can see that's there. So I, I never want to be in a position to say, you know, if you don't use data, you're never going to have, you know, you're never going to race well or whatever. Maybe that's, that's a dreadful thing to say and should never be there. So racing has to be fun, but I think you just got to find your own, your own place as to where it works and what works for you. And that's why I think that the video solutions are, are brilliant. If I want a quick analysis of a lap, I'll look at the video because I'll be able to see and immediately beat myself up because that's kind of what we do as racers is, you know, in the, in the privacy of our own home, you know, with, with others, we may see things like I was totally flat there, which is probably not true. But at the same time, when we're looking at it ourselves, if I've got a little green bar that says that's full accelerator and I'm looking at the corner going, oh, hold on a second, the brake pedal is bouncing all over the place because you're inconsistent on the pedal and then you're half throttle, not full throttle here. 
that for me is enough to be able to go, okay, next time don't do that type of thing and figure out why. So again, so I've belabored the point, but it should be fun. It should get to the point where you're comfortable. And, and, and I don't know where the comfort level is with a lot of people, but the beauty of it is, is, I mean, my friend uh, James Clay from Bimmerworld described it on a seminar a few days ago that data is like peeling an onion because there's so many layers. Mm. But for me personally, I think about it like peeling an orange. There's kind of just one layer down a minute. I've got enough that I need, and then I'm off. But you can go deep and then deeper and then deeper and then deeper. That's a, that's a really good point. I think if you frame it as a means to an end, then it's much more accessible in general for people. And they just dip in, get what they need, and go. On, on the um, math channel point, it made me smile because I've, I've done a little article on a math with a math channel on um, compensating for hills when you're doing your analysis. So the your acceleration traces are affected by the gradient of the track, which makes some of the approaches for, say, doing breaking threshold braking analysis uh, skewed because you're, if you're going up and down a hill, it, it makes it more difficult to use some of these generalized terms where they say, well, your car has a threshold break of xg that's on the flat but if you're going up a hill or down a hill the reading that you get from the sensor from the gps will be different because you're going up and down a hill so uh, i've done a little math channel you might want to check it out i'd, I'd love to i really do and i tell you what your hill analysis is really really good because then i look at it this way there is a racetrack in deepest darkest oregon state it's called oregon raceway it is a brilliant driver's track and we've been looking at video and uh, there's a really steep hill. You can short shift before you start climbing the hill, or you can let the car run out and change gear a third of the way up the hill. And people kept looking like, oh, are you short shifting there? And the conversation that we looked at the data is just as you described, which was if you change gear halfway up a hill, imagine if your car was stationary and you dip the clutch. The first thing that's going to happen is gravity is going to push that car backwards. And so as you change gear, you're actually slowing the car rather than we work the variable that said changing gear on a flat surface before you go up the hill, even though it bogs down a little bit, is net faster because you're progressively, you know, you're you're 100% throttle all the way up the hill. And so what you just described is what data allows us to be able to do to help people with simple things, just such as where the hell should I change gear? And I think you're, you're 100% right there. And if you have questions and you are looking to improve, then it can give you part of the answer. And with some some level of precision, with a better memory than you, and with some repeatability. And that will then start to help you piece together the puzzle of improving yourself as a driver and improving your car and ultimately improving your lap time and you know being more regularly on the podium. But the point being is that it's a it's trying to help you with that puzzle. It's not providing the solution. It's providing part of the solution so that you can then work it out yourself. And I think if people think of it like that, it can be much more accessible. And like you say, I like the orange idea where you just dip in rather than the onion. That's brilliant. I love the fact you've mentioned it as a puzzle because it is interesting that the best laid plans always go out of the window at turn one of the first corner of the turn one or the first corner of any race because you've got you know, people all around you and, and you, you're managing so many other things. But the, the key will be, and this is where I always look at it, and I've, I've made mistakes by not 
thinking about it as much as I needed to in terms of I actually think that data through practice and qualifying, especially getting to qualifying, is probably some of the most important areas where you should think to use it. Because as we all know, the 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 further you are to the front in qualifying in a highly competitive series, the greater your opportunity of being able to arguably win the race, finish well, or to some degree avoid the the melee and the carnage that may happen you know, mid-pack or wherever need be. And so, again, it's 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 where you choose to use it. And by nature of our conversation today, I think that those who are listening may be thinking, well, this could be something for me to be able to work on. But Exactly, yeah. It's, it's, it's your choice, and that's what I love about it. It's definitely your choice. And the, and the beauty of what it is, even though I've, you know, made commentary that, you know, that, uh, you know, we should, you know, think to invest here, is the fact that it is absolutely your choice as to how much you choose to get. I mean, you can have a channel for everything nowadays. But the question is, is what are you going to use it for? And and for some who've got engineering knowledge and race, you know, uh, engineering experience, they want as much as they can get. Others just want a GPS device stuck in the car that they can see their line, they can see their inputs, and, and that's it. James, that is fantastic. Honestly, it's been a real pleasure to listen to you talk. Uh, it would be uh, lovely to have you back on the show sometime. I'd love to as well. I I I love talking about this stuff. And, and you can tell, you yeah, can tell and, you and, do. Thank you, and, and I do talk a lot. And I, I apologise to those who are like, "Is he ever going to shut up?" But I would say that um, I, I love the fact that that you know, through the time that I've worked with data, I've learned so much from so many other people who've looked at things differently or don't share the same point of view that I have. It's it's when we put it into practice and, and I, I, I race cars um, for fun. I do a lot of the video stuff for fun to be able to, to, to just generally help overall. Um, obviously, there's some, some, you know, benefits to it for me, which is lovely. But at the same time, I think that uh, um, yeah, any kind of application of data from my point of view is a conversation that I think is lovely to have because, you know, it's it's all a question of being able to learn. And I think when you ask a lot of racers as to why they race, very few you'll ever talk to will say, oh, it's so I can go fast. A lot of ones you'll talk to is so I can do something, I can get better. And racing's brilliant because it's so measurable. If I do something better, I'm going to go faster. And if I go faster, I'm going to qualify better. And if I qualify better, I might finish better and so forth. And so personal development seems to come through a lot with why people do this, which is why I love data, because I am never going to get to the point when I'm ever, ever in my lifetime, as you my ability, I'm going to max out as to what I can learn. And that's why I love it. And that's why data helps me. Well, thank you very much. It's um, been fascinating. Likewise. Thank you. I'm sure many of you will be able to empathise with the journey that James has been on. It's really impressive to hear what he has been able to achieve, starting from zero and then going on to teach others on how to use data analysis. Hopefully this will give you some inspiration and some tips to have another look at data and see how that can really contribute to improving your own racing. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and visit us at yourdatadriven.com.